everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and treatment and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss, and I am a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. Um, thank you all for joining me today. Uh, you could be doing any number of other things today in the pandemic, in the plague, and if you are in the future and the plague does not exist anymore, what's that like? It sounds nice. Well, presently we are here. So thank you all for spending the time uh, with me today. Um, for those of you who are new, this is a question and answer based podcast. So if you have a question about OCD and anxiety treatment, shoot me an email. You can go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Send me a message there through the ask a question link or submit a question link, and uh, I will read it, consider it, and probably put it up on a show. So like all the questions that I'm going to have on the show today, I got all of them through the fearcastpodcast.com. Um, guys, if you like the show and gals, if you also like the show, um, give me a like, give me a thumbs up, give me a star, give me whatever it is on that platform that you are receiving uh, this podcast um, and uh, rate the show, review it, uh, write a little blurb about it. It um, Again, it warms my my black little heart in this, uh, this, this sad, cold, bleak pandemic winter that we are in. Um, and uh, it more importantly, it helps other people to find the show. Um, if you hate the show, it's totally fine. There's a lot to hate about it, but um, you can uh, keep that opinion to yourself. So anyways, um, presuming that you like the show, thanks for liking the show. All right. Um, so uh, we're going to get onto the questions here really quick. I hope everybody is doing well and is happy and is enjoying themselves Um during this time, it is a hard time for everybody. I think trying to figure out how to be joyful and how to be uh, family focused in all of this time is just really, really hard. And I think that it is wearing down on all of us, myself included. But here we are, everybody. This is what our life is. Could you? I think back to this to the the podcast that I did just before all of all of this this stuff became real. It was the uh, the episode with Kelly Frankie, and that that I was gonna say, gosh, it feels like a year ago because it was almost a year ago. That's why. But it is a surprise that we are all here. It is also a surprise how much we can all get used to and how much we can be surprised at. But. Here we are. So again, I hope all of you are doing well. I will stop yammering and we are going to get on to the questions. All right. So this first question comes from far away. That is the name that they put down from far away. All right. From far away says, hello, I've been listening to your podcast for a while and it's been a great help. In the last year, I've been through some, quote, big things as I see it. I've completely renovated a house with my cohabitant, and we've been talking about having kids, and that is when it all started. It all started as HOCD pretty bad. After a few months of HOCD, it came right back around to ROCD, I think. I just want to first state that my partner is the world's best man, does everything for me, and is incredibly attractive. We have been together for five years, but this has put me completely out of play. I can hardly kiss him, I cannot have sex with him, and everything feels wrong. Everything in me says I must leave. When I think about it, I get a little relieved because then I have no doubt about whether it is right or not. Everything is a trigger for me. 
Whenever I get a message or I look at him, I hear his voice, I get anxious if I get a hug because my brain goes into, quote, check mode and has to figure out if I really should stay or not and what I should feel. Is this normal for ROCD or have I completely fallen out of love? If this can be ROCD, what can I do? I previously had very strong OCD and have become psychotic, and at a young age, lots of compulsive actions. I also struggle a lot with anxiety. I hope you'll use this question on a podcast. All right, from far away, thank you for this question. So, first and foremost, with any with any message about ROCD and, and, and a concern about whether or not you have fallen in love or out of love or, or whether or not you should be with your partner is, I don't know. I can't tell you whether or not you should be with your partner or whether or not you should break up with them. And I don't think anybody can tell you that conclusively or definitively. That is ultimately a decision that you're going to have to make. And I know that's a hard thing to do because you're struggling back and forth between whether you should or you shouldn't. But I will say this. From what you talked about, it does sound consistent with ROCD. That doesn't mean that you're in a perfect relationship and that you should be with him forever, nor does it mean that you should break up with him. What I'm saying is, it sounds consistent with ROCD from what I've read. So you say that he's an incredible guy, he's really attractive, does everything for you, etc., etc. Now, while you don't say that you love him, you you don't say that you don't love him. So I'm just going to call that a wash. I'm going to say it ultimately means nothing. Often when we're in a relationship and we're kind of over that relationship, we're able to identify some real specific reasons why we should break up with them. Um, And we can sometimes include very specific reasons why we should be with somebody else or at least not be with this person or maybe why our partner should be with somebody else or something to that effect. But, But you don't do any of this. The main issue I'm hearing is this compulsive evaluation and rumination. You're kind of constantly spending all this time, or it seems like you are spending a lot of time questioning, judging, comparing. This mental review about whether or not you should or shouldn't be with him. You said, when I think about it, I get a little relieved because then I have no doubt about whether it's right or not. Now, I was kind of confused about, about this. Is it, is it that you're sure that you, you should be with him or, or not? I wasn't quite sure, but but you do go on to say, I get anxious if I get a hug because then my brain goes into check mode and then I have to figure out what I feel and what I should feel, presumably. So this is that evaluation process and that process is a problem because we ultimately don't know if we should be with someone or not. And furthermore, and this might sound crazy, we ultimately don't need to know whether or not we love someone to be in a functional, effective, or happy marriage or happy relationship, whatever you want to call it and whatever structure you want it to be in. The evaluation of the feeling is going to be the main problem here. It's overly questioning. And what it's, what it's doing in that questioning process is it's looking and evaluating. It's looking for this kind of ambiguous and unanswerable and untestable feeling. This kind of idea that there is this or this hope that there is this objective sense. You're just supposed to know that you love this person and whether or not we're supposed to be with them. Unfortunately, the vast majority of us, if not every one of us, doesn't get that. We all kind of round up and we're all kind of guessing. And that's unfortunately what you and I have to sit with. And that may be what you have to sit with. But what I would first encourage you to consider is, what is it that you're afraid of in this? Oftentimes for ROCD, it can be 
this fear of making a decision that's unchangeable and wrong. This lifelong thing. I mean, you talked about renovating a house. You talked about having a kid. I mean, both of those are big commitments, especially the kid part. So consider, what is it about this that feels so scary? Is there something about this that feels like you're trying to fight against? What are you evaluating for? Are you checking to see that you love him so that you can be sure that you're going to have a happy, effective, long-term relationship? Are you judging yourself or judging the, the quality of the relationship to make sure that you love him just adequately, right enough, or that you should be with somebody else? By figuring this out, you're going to then be able to know where you can, where you can start putting your exposure work. Exposures are ultimately going to be done to face that fear and to accept the uncertainty about the, quote, forever aspects of those things, right? So is it that it's going to go bad? Is it you're going to hurt his feelings? Is you're going to blow up your life? Is it going to destroy this, your, your mutual families, right? Are you going to feel stuck in a bad and loveless relationship forever? You're going to have to accept that the, the maybe aspects of life. There are going to be a couple things that have to be done in this. First, you're going to have to accept the maybe aspects of the relationship, Maybe those things will happen. Maybe they will. And again, I say this about my own relationship. Maybe they will. I don't know. But more, most importantly, I'm not going to spend any amount of time in my life right now questioning it and evaluating it. Because no relationship is perfect, right? Yours, mine, no one else's. And if we really focus on those things, man, we're going to see some stuff we don't like and we're going to start to question and wonder. But instead, we can refocus back on what is good about the relationship. What do we like about it? How can we make it effective? What can we do to make it work? Now, it doesn't mean that refocusing on those things will make it a perfect relationship. And again, it doesn't mean that you are in a perfect relationship. But what I am saying is you ultimately need to start practicing resisting going into that compulsive cycle, that questioning and evaluating process. And instead, refocus back on the relationship while making space for that uncomfortable feeling I'll say this, I would also encourage you, if you haven't already gotten into it, is to consider getting into some therapy with, some, with an OCD ERP therapist. They're going to be able to help you to kind of sift through some of these things through cognitive behavioral therapy. We are going to start to challenge and look at the relationship. As I say, as you might have heard me say this before, ROCD is, in a sense, a combination of, of relationship struggles and issues that we all experience responded to in an OCD way. So it's going to be a combination of treating the OCD and trying to work through acceptance and trying to work through exposing yourself to whatever the feared thought and that feared story is. So step one is going to be to try to figure that story out. And what is it about that that feels so scary? And then scripting it out and then tolerating those feelings when they are there while resisting getting into that compulsive cycle. So, thanks so much for the question. I hope that helped. This next question comes from SR. They say, Hello, Kevin. Thank you for the wonderful podcast and all the great help. This is my second question, so I hope that's okay. I struggle with an issue where I'm thinking about my eye movements. I fear I would have to be aware of every little movement my eye makes. So, whenever I'm reading, for example, I'm constantly aware of my eyes moving left to right, right to left, line by line, like I'm doing this voluntarily. And so, I become distracted and I get pulled away from the awareness of my reading. Also, my eyes will start to strain and to hurt and become painful with this. 
I know I want to learn to accept that I may notice the movements forever, and that fear of staying stuck fuels this, but it's very difficult. Any advice or recommendation you would have or suggest to make this easier? And any ideas for exposures to aid in tolerance of the eye movements? All right, SR, so I'm going to give you some ideas for some exposures that you can do. So everything that I've said on a previous episode or previous episodes about sensory motor or hyper-awareness OCD is going to be applicable here. So certainly in Challenging the Thought, it sounds like you're doing this, so great. What I will say is, it sounds like that you are actively spending a lot of time trying to solve and resolve this struggle to understand it. And if you can get to that place of full understanding or get to that place of, of mastery over it, then it will all go away. But what we're ultimately trying to do with this is to give our, our, our eyes and the, that the motion or the thought about all of that as little attention as possible. Because the compulsion here is the evaluation. It's questioning whether or not you are doing this, questioning if you are doing this voluntarily, noticing the left to right, right to left, noticing that you're noticing it. All of that can certainly feel very intrusive, and it certainly is. The questioning about it is not something that you actively would like to think about, I imagine. I don't think anybody's saying, you know, it sounds really fun. I'm going to spend all my time, instead of focusing on what I'm reading, noticing my eyes in the left to right, in the right to left, and the up and down. I'm just going to be doing that and focusing on that. I don't think anybody's really doing that. Or anybody's really doing that out of elective pleasure, anyways. One of the things you can try is to practice reading without active stress. Now, I'm going to say active stress. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel stressed. You've been feeling this for a long time. I anticipate that you're going to continue to feel this. But where you place your energy is within your control. You get to control how much pressure and focus you're going to give to the evaluation process. If and when you happen to feel stress and tension, that's totally fine. It's perfectly acceptable and understandable. Again, you've been feeling this for a long time. Wouldn't it be a surprise if all of a sudden you didn't feel that? Right? So this is expected. So practicing reading without active stress and start doing this in small bouts of reading throughout the day. And it might just be a couple of lines. It might be a single line. As you're reading, refraining from the active process of judging, questioning, evaluating. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience the thought you might, but reshift back to, instead of getting back into that, the, 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 the cycle, shift your attention just back to reading and continue to read. Now, when effort starts to show up and the focus starts to become intense and that cycle starts to return, you know, you're going to take a break and you're going to try to do this at another time. Gently redirecting your attention back to reading while resisting the effortful effort, in a sense, to evaluate how you're reading is going to be the focus here. You're also going to resist that urge to question and evaluate what you're, what this is going to mean for you and what's going to happen. You can allow that thought to be there, but you're not going to pay it any mind. You're not going to intentionally focus on it. Redirect back to reading. Now, as a separate exercise, scripting the worst case scenario. And I suppose first, just like the first question, you have to consider what that worst case scenario is. Is it that your life is ruined? Is it that you'll never be able to read again? Is it you're constantly going to have to suffer with this process? Whatever that might be. But I want you to audio record this one. So after you write it, I want you to audio record it. And I want you to listen to that over and over again. What this is going to do by listening to it, you're going to be pulling out the reading stress of it, pulling out that task. That's going to be a separate skill that you're going to practice uh, elsewhere. But 
hopefully those two things will help you to redirect and pay less attention to the process. Because with the audio script, the goal of that is to listen to it passively throughout the day. Have one earbud in, listen to it for like an hour, two hours, and go on with your day. Do whatever you want. Go for a hike, go for a run, listen to it at the gym. I don't know. And periodically your brain will, will, will focus in on it. And then you go, yeah, there's that story that, you know, it might be there forever. And then redirect back to whatever else it is that you're doing. What you're going to do with that is hopefully teach yourself that you can have that thought without stressing about it, without spending a ton of time on it. And hopefully eventually your brain is just going to go, you know, who cares? Maybe that is what's going to happen, but that thought can be there and I don't need to waste my energy on it. So the combination of these two things hopefully will help you to disconnect from that process. So SR, I hope that was helpful. Best of luck. All right, this next question comes from Craig. Craig asks, is it possible for OCD to cause me to question whether or not I'm saved in reference to Christianity? Is there a way to have certainty about my salvation? Craig, this is a great question, and this is a hard question. And it's also a very disappointing answer, I suppose, in the sense that I don't know. I don't have certainty of my answer in what I could say about that. My first question to you is going to be this. Is your doubt about your salvation based on the fact that you continue to have questions about your salvation? Meaning, are you noticing the intrusive thought, questioning whether or not you're saved, And are you rounding that up to the assumption that you are not certain of your salvation? You and I are going to get unwanted intrusive thoughts. Our brain is going to focus on the things that we value the most and is going to question that. It does it in a way to try to protect us and to protect the things that we value the most. So if your faith and your salvation is going to be the most important thing to you, naturally, your brain is going to say, well, of course I care about this. Let's make sure that this thing is safe and good and right forever. So it's going to look for the potholes. It's going to look for the pitfalls. It's going to look for the jagged edges. It's going to look for anything that is not rock solid. And with faith, across the board with every single person of faith, There are lots of holes. There are lots of questions. There are lots of what-ifs. All faiths. My own. And that's okay. Questioning one's faith and having questions about what does it all mean, whether or not I am saved, what's the answer to this, those are all normal questions, and those questions are okay. If those questions are there, it does not mean that you lack faith. I don't care what any ridiculous pastor out there says. I'm standing firm in that. You can have these questions, and you ought to have those questions. My stance is those questions are good, and those questions are all right. It doesn't mean we need to waste all of our time or spend all of our time, I suppose, evaluating them to get the answer, because we may never get the answer to them. But true faith stands up to questions. True faith stands up to scrutiny. And the truth will rise to the top. But that being said, you've questioned this. You've evaluated it. You've asked people, you've read about it, and you're still here. So guess what? We're going to have to sit with that doubt. We have to acknowledge that that, that the, the ideas of salvation is kind of an existential threat. It's an existential thought. And it's kind of, we can place it out there as just, the, the doubt about it is just kind of a matter of fact. 
it's always in question, right? Because we can't, there's no, there, as I've said before, there's no button that pops out on us when we're, quote, saved, when we know that we are. So, what we do is we trust. We trust what our pastors and our preachers in the Bible says about us and about our salvation and about the process of salvation. We trust. We round up. There's that gap between that which we know and that which we, that, that, that which we cannot know. And what spans that distance is faith, is trust. It's a gamble, right? Remember, though, that this is the doubting disease. Also, by the way, read that book. There's a book called The Doubting Disease that is all about faith and OCD. It's a good one. You should read it. But it's the doubting disease, right? It's going to make you doubt even the simplest of things. Now, the compulsions, again, are going to be the most important things to focus on. The repeated effort to solve and fully understand your salvation is the problem. It's not to say you don't want full resolution. We all want full resolution, but that process is going to be the problem. I'd encourage you to practice resisting the evaluation process and to accept the feelings that you get when you disconnect from it. And furthermore, you can accept the, or disconnect excuse me, the content of that story from that feeling and say, yeah, this feeling is there and that story is over there. But that feeling that I have does not mean that this story is now more true. It is a feeling. Now, Craig, if you're not doing this, it might be helpful to start working with a therapist who understands both Christian faith and OCD and to work with them to try to evaluate some of these fears, to start questioning some of them and start challenging some of them and start going through some of the cognitive distortions through alternative thought records and to start thinking about what faith means to you, how you are compulsively evaluating, and that can help you to get to a new relationship with these thoughts. If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to listen to some of the Faith and Doubt series. I go into more detail about how to challenge these thoughts, what that might look like. You can listen to the episode with Jamie Eckert, and that's going to be another great episode for you to listen to if you haven't listened to that one already. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into what that challenging process would look like, but you can find some more information there. So just for funsies, I went online and searched, how can you be certain of your salvation? And a bunch of websites came up. Now, I would encourage you not to do this, even though I anticipate that you've already done this, but I would encourage you to resist doing it again. But there's a whole bunch of websites that are going to come up, and a bunch of different denominations and groups and and folks are going to have a bunch of different ideas on what you can do. And there are going to be some specific denominations that talk about that, specifically Calvinism under the you know the kind of five points they talk about unconditional uh, the, the the unconditional election aspect. So meaning that you feel that you're Christian and that you uh, meaning that God chooses that you're Christian. You feel that you are, you can't refute it, nor can you choose to be Christian. You just kind of are. If you feel that you're in the club, you're in the club. If you felt drawn to the club, it means that you are already in the club, and you can't get out of the club either. Calvinism, for some folks, has been really helpful. For some folks, it has been very problematic. But either way, the the limitations of all of those things that say, how can I be certain in all those litmus tests, is that our brain is always going to say, well, yeah, but this. Yeah, but what about that? You're not fully doing this, or you're not absolutely doing that other thing. And the reality is, you're right. There's going to be a a respect for your own limitations as being human in this. If your brain is saying, well, you're not fully saved because you're not doing X, Y, or Z, or you're not fully saved because you still do X, Y, or Z, it's to say, yes, that's because I'm human. 
It doesn't mean we don't try for improvement, but it's that we accept that we're not perfect. And that feeling that you get between where you, where you are and where you want to be is the feeling that you're going to have to accept. But more importantly, not to spend any further amount of time questioning, evaluating, or trying to fight against that feeling to try to make it go away. But instead to say, yeah, it's, it's there. It's not my favorite thing. But rather than trying to go back to that same well and trying to go down this same rabbit hole maze nonsense that I've found myself in a bazillion times before, well, I'm going to go do pretty much anything else. I'm going to go watch a movie. I'm going to go read a book. I'm going to learn to juggle. I'm going to go, I don't know, learn to juggle knives. It's a lot of things there, I guess. But you can do any of those things. And any of those things is going to be more important than going down the same thought process again. Now, of course, exposure and response prevention is going to be helpful in this too. But I would encourage you first to consider what is it that you are afraid of? And that might be something to work on with a therapist. What is that core fear for you? Is that you're going to miss it? Is it that you are going to go to hell? Is it that you, therefore you're going to have to suffer for the rest of your life? Is it that whatever it may be to consider, well, what is the worst case scenario for me? What am I running from? And what are my, all my compulsions trying to help me to do or to keep me safe from? So rather than just focusing on what to not do, I'll tell you what you can do. So when that thought comes up that says, am I saved again? Am I saved? Rather than jumping back into that cycle and that process that you've done a bazillion times before, practice saying, I don't know. And when you say, I don't know, also acknowledge what that feels like. Oh, I feel, I feel awful. I have that tightness in my stomach. My chest feels like there's an elephant sitting on it. You can even acknowledge, man, I really want to evaluate. You can say, man, if I if I'm not saved, that would suck. If I'm not saved, that might that might be terrible. And it might. It might. But you know what? We're going to leave it at that. We're going to say, this feels bad. I want to do these other things. And you know what? I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to go do this other thing. Walk my dog. Ride a bike. I'm going to go call up this person. And we're going to go get ice cream in a land where the plague didn't exist. Anyways, you're going to go do anything else other than getting back into that. Now, that is going to be a struggle and that's going to be a process because there is a temptation and there is a rut in your brain to doing that. But we're slowly and progressively resisting that. And to see if you can resist that process for a minute, maybe even two minutes, and maybe even five minutes. Another process you can do is to say, you know, I'm going to worry about my salvation, but my worry salvation time is tonight at 7 to 7.15. That's it. Every other time I get my questioning about my salvation, I'm going to kick that can down the road and say, look here, self, I worry about this at 7 to 7.15. And no time before and no time after, it is those times to those times. Now, easier said than done, obviously, but practicing doing that and kicking that can down the road, you'll soon learn that you can live your day and not evaluate, not actively evaluate. You might still get the thought because that's what our brain does. It thinks. But you are not going to waste your time going through that thought process for the bazillionth other time. So, Craig, thank you so much for the question and best of luck. All right, this last question comes from Lee. Lee says, I realized that my OCD is bad in the morning. It has always been like this. And as I get on through the day, it gets easier and more bearable. Also, my mood is worse in the morning and gets better in the same way. And because of this, I have to kind of sit down on the bed after I wake up for like 20 minutes 
just to get my head clear and to get a bit settled and more oriented. Also, because the morning is an important part of the day where we usually do what we're going to do, this is obviously disturbing. So my question is, can waking up very early, like before sunrise, ease it up so my mind gets calmer and more ready faster? Is this a healthy strategy? If not, what would you recommend? So, Lee, that's a great question, but I got a lot of questions about what you wrote. Um, I feel like there's a, there's, there is some elements that you're not saying, because I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what the fear is. I, I definitely, well, well, we'll get to some other stuff. But, but first off, to answer your question in short, no. Waking up earlier will not make you, or not help you to beat OCD. It's just not. If that was the case, if waking up early to beat OCD was the solution, there would only be one OCD book out there, and it would be called An Alarm Clock. That's what it'd be. We would, all of us therapists would just say, here's your requisite alarm clock. It's set to five in the morning, mazel tov. And that's what we would do. But unfortunately, that's not the magic bullet here. I would instead have you wake up at your normal time and get on with your day as fast as you can get on with your day while not getting your head in order while not having that 20 minutes of meditation of reorientation whatever that process is that you're doing for 20 minutes in the morning stopping that as best you possibly can not best you possibly can don't do it instead get on with your day. The more that you do that, you're only sending yourself the message that you have to celebrate your obsessions right when you wake up in order for to get on your day. Or else, whatever the or else is for you. I don't know what that is. Speaking of more stuff I don't know, you also say the morning is important because it's where we usually go do what we do. Therefore, it's disturbing. As if it's more disturbing because it's the morning time. I have no idea what this means. I don't think anybody else does other than you. But whatever it is, that thought has to be challenged. We have to question the legitimacy of that. Does it really mean that? Is that thing really going to happen? Is it likely to happen? Statistically, what's it going to happen? Once? One percent? Right? If you don't do the 20-minute reorientation, is there a one percent chance it's going to happen? Less than that? Either way, could you take the risk and see if it is going to happen? That's what I would encourage you to do. So, ultimately, that thought needs to be challenged and then subsequently and thoroughly ignored as best you possibly can. The reorientation process is the problem here. Cutting that out is vastly going to help. Now, you're doing the 20-minute process to try to protect you. Of course, that's what compulsions do. But you're going to have to take that feeling and move on and to take the risk. We're going to see what happens. You cannot get through this by trying to continue to avoid the bad thing from happening. We need to see if the bad thing is going to happen, whatever the bad thing is. So, Lee, that is my recommendation for you. Waking up early in the morning will not fix OCD. Getting up in the morning at whatever time that you do and getting to your day as fast as you humanly can, that is going to help. Not the solution, but it's going to help. So, Lee, thank you so much for the question. 
Okie dokie, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through this, the 58th episode of the FearCast. Um, thank you all to everybody who's listening to the Phobia Friday episodes. We have two more that's going to come out. I'm going to record those presently, and uh, they will come out in due time. So thank you again, everybody, for making it through these episodes. Um, if you like the show, fantastic. Again, please write a review for it. Please give me a thumbs up or a like or a whatever it is. Um, also, uh, go check me out over at um, uh, Instagram. I am FearCast Podcast over there, to no surprise. Uh, you can uh, uh, follow me there. Sometimes I'll post funny things. Sometimes I'll post announcements for the episodes. Um, sometimes I just put up memes and stuff. Sometimes. Either way. Um, if you guys have questions about uh, these questions and would like to give your own feedback or would like to uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, suggest something that I missed, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and go to the submit a question link and just write, write out what you think. Um, if you also have a question that you would like me to answer in a future episode, go back to fearcastpodcast.com and you can put in your question there. Everybody, please remember that all of this stuff is for informational purposes only, educational purposes as well, and it is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about how to get better, how to get back into therapy, how to get into therapy for the first time, or would like some resources, go to fearcastpodcast.com and go to the uh, find help link. There's going to be some stuff there for you that'll help. All right, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.